You could all stand for the scripture reading this morning. We'll be reading God's word from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30 and reading through verse 37. This is the word of the Lord. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is God's word. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. Lord, what a privilege it is this morning uh, just to come together and to worship you, the one true God, creator of all things and, and our Savior. It's because of your glorious gospel We come here this morning to sing to you, uh, to pray to you, and to hear from your holy word. It's your good news that gives us a true hope, a true joy, and true peace. So we don't come this morning on our own merit or our own effort, uh, but our trust is in the blood of Christ to cover us, to cleanse us from all of our sins. In response to this good news, we pray that not only this service, but our whole lives would be lived as a sacrifice to you. We pray that we would please you as we sing and hear from your word, and also as we go from here. Would our, would our conduct in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces shine brightly, not being conformed to this world, rather that we would be transformed and our minds would be renewed in your truth. Help us as a church family, even today, to be humble, uh, to value one another as members of Christ's body, uh, to serve one another with zeal, and to love with a genuine love, to hate what is evil. Would your truth, by your Spirit, change our hearts daily so that we would walk in light of the glorious grace shown to us in Christ? Lord, we're, we're thankful for uh, members you've brought into this church family. And we want to pray now for those us recently married. Think of Danny and Kristen just yesterday, and Willie and Lucy. We're thankful that we're able to celebrate uh, their marriages together. And, and recently, uh, we just continue to pray that uh, their marriages would be a reflection of the gospel and the love that Christ has for his church. We also pray for the many engaged couples as they prepare for marriage, that you would do a work in their hearts to draw them close to you 
and keep them pure as they look forward to a life together serving Christ. And we also pray for the many new parents, uh, the expecting parents. Uh, we're so thankful for the children in this church, and you've blessed us in so many ways, and we pray that you would help these parents raise their children to fear you, and that you would, by your grace, save each one. Lord, we know that many in our church are, are struggling, whether it be with, with sickness or financial difficulty or just other hardships in their lives. We pray that you would grant them comfort and hope that comes uh, from you alone. Lord, we're thankful again uh, for this church and for the many ways that you've blessed us. Uh, but we also realize that we're not the only church meeting this morning to proclaim your gospel We pray for the other faithful churches and congregations just around the Bay Area, around the world, gathering together today to sing your praises, to lift high the name of Jesus. We pray that every church would be a bright light in their communities, magnifying the love of Christ and the glory of the gospel, that many would be saved. We especially pray for for churches in places like Afghanistan, where there's so much unrest, and the prospect of imprisonment or death just weighs on these faithful believers simply because they have pledged their allegiance to the one true king. Grant these precious saints around the world perseverance and endurance, strengthen their faith, and even use their testimonies to bring many to yourself. Indeed, we know that many around the world suffer at the hands of of wicked governments, And so we do pray for authorities and rulers around the world. And we pray that they would repent and turn to Christ, submitting their lives to him and embracing him as Savior and Lord. We also pray for our own nation, for President Biden, for leaders here in California, Governor Newsom. Lord, would you do the work that only you can do to save their souls? We trust that your sovereign hand will accomplish all that you have purposed. Father, we're here just this morning because you are worthy of all of our worship. So we bring these things before you, knowing that you hear us and you love us. And we pray that our worship this morning would be pleasing to you and that your son, Jesus Christ, would be magnified. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Garrett, for shepherding our hearts, and Peter for shepherding our hearts through song. Um, What a joy it is to be together in the house of the Lord, just to be with the family of God's people. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. I want to bring you some greetings this morning, obviously, which is a joy and a privilege for me to do. We have the elders had a chance to um, have dinner this week with Pastor John, and that was uh, a very sweet and encouraging time. And I just want to give you his love and also uh, ask if you would continue to be in prayer for the different Lighthouse churches, for Lighthouse L.A., and uh, also for Lighthouse San Diego as Pastor James is transitioning to become the associate pastor there under Pastor Patrick and Lighthouse OC as they look for a new pastor. So please be in prayer for them. 
I also was blessed with a call from uh, the Morales family this week as well. And Ricardo shared with me that uh, Vanna and Vivi, after being a little bit sick, after coming um, to Columbia, are, are healthy and well. And they have the good news of actually having to turn people away from their church. They have around 11 or 12 people who are meeting regularly on Sunday and they need a bigger space. And so if you would just be in prayer for them as the Lord brings believers in a city where there really is no Christian church. And uh, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few, but God's timing is perfect. And of course, the Morales family always sends you their love and their appreciation and their thankfulness for your prayers and for your love. And also, one final thing, I just want to thank you all for working on those uh, membership applications, the joy of homework, but I just want to let you know that Julie and I are working on those too, and uh, it's been a blessing and encouragement just to interact with you all as we consider what the Lord holds for us in the coming year. And that brings us this morning to the God-breathed words of Romans 12 the God-breathed words of Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul is explaining to the saints in Rome and he's explaining to us how God's children are to live and give the gospel life God has given us. How are we to live and give this gospel life that Christ died for us that we just sang about? And in many ways, Romans 12 specifically addresses where we are as a church, as we recommit our church membership as we reconsider how God is calling us, both individually but together as a, as a family, how we are to serve Him here in San Jose and here at Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Could I have my first slide, please? Thanks. And just sort of by way of review a little bit, and to give the context, as you walk through Romans 1 through 4, as Paul writes to the beloved saints in Rome, in chapters 1 through 4, he explains to them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all men who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it's one that the Apostle Paul is not ashamed of. And Romans 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul explains this gospel and he shows us how in Christ God has given the saints in Rome a completely new life and a completely new family as well. And it's a new life and family that is justified, made right with God, not by their works, but by faith and trust in the life and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not through faith and trust in ourselves, our world, our education, our career, not even in our church. But it's in that perfect and beautiful life of love that Christ gave to us. And as we come to Romans 5 through 11, which is where we've spent some time, the Apostle Paul then explains how the gospel gives us a new life and a new family that is not ruled by sin and death. It's ruled and it's transformed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is a new life and a new family that it's not led by our sinful desires anymore. It's a new life and family that is led by the Holy Spirit in obedience to God's Word. We have a new leader in our life. That leader is Christ and He leads us through the power of His Spirit working in us. And He does so in obedience to God's Word. And that's what that life looks like. 
It's a life of obedience to God's Word. Why? Because we can do it on our own? Absolutely not. But because God has poured out His love into our hearts through the power of His Spirit. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new life. And so we see, because of that, it's a new life and a new family that is holy. And by holy, we mean it is a life that is wholly devoted to Christ Jesus and His people. It's a life that's given over completely, not to the things of this world anymore. It's not that we don't work hard in our jobs. It's not that we don't labor for our families. But ultimately, all that we do, at the end of the day, is to serve and to give our lives entirely to God and the people of God, to our new family. And we see what a contrast it is as opposed to lives that are wholly devoted to our feelings, our flesh, our selfish desires. God has set us free, praise the Lord, from the bondage of that life. And in Romans 5-11, through the Apostle Paul shows us, because this is the way God works, this is a new life and a new family that is one of what's referred to as progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. So it's not a zap. It's not like you get saved and suddenly you're a perfect person. It's throughout our journey in this world and throughout our life, the Holy Spirit, through Christ's Word and many times through suffering and trials, He is molding us into the image of Christ. And it's progressive. And it should caution us in our hearts as we can be tempted, and we'll find out later, to look down on other believers because they don't do things the same way we do it. And we need to be mindful that Christ is working in and through us over time. The kingdom is not all here, all now, right now. And we fall into traps, especially in Christian ministry, where there's this expectation that everything's going to be perfect now. Peter alluded to that in leading praise earlier this morning. Jesus has a plan, and in fact, He's patient with us so that we can come to repentance. It's interesting. You know, I I share this with Ricardo many times. I, I remember how much distress and anxiety and difficulty they had when COVID came in and their plans to go to Columbia got put on hold. And brothers and sisters, they they struggled at that time more than I was aware of. I would call every week and I would let Julie know. I said, I just believe I should give them a call to see how they're doing. But that isolation as they were ready to go and they're living in this trailer, which was supposed to be short term, and the level of isolation was there. For an extended period of time, will we ever get to Columbia? But I remember now afterwards saying to Ricardo, I said, you know what, you suffered and your family suffered so our church could learn about missions in Columbia. And through the burden you bore, what felt like alone at times, God used that so that we could benefit and be a part of spreading the gospel and planting a church in Latin America. And brothers and sisters, as sweet as that is, God does that in each one of our lives. There are times where you come in and it's like, Lord, why am I suffering? Why is it hard? I've done everything that you've asked me to. Why don't we have kids yet? Why don't I have a spouse yet? Why don't I have a job yet? And yet when we wide-angle lens and we look at Romans and we look at the life of Christ, we realize, you know, just like the Apostle Paul, perhaps the Lord is allowing you to struggle. One, because He's molding you into the image of His Son, Christ, 
who gave up his freedoms and his rights and his privileges and bore our suffering for our benefit, but also, too, so that you can share God's love in his life with someone else somewhere who God is presently waiting for to repent. That's a big-ticket item, but it's also a huge blessing. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul is walking the saints in Rome through as they're suffering in Romans 5 through 11. And he shows us that this path is coming because, why? Because God is preparing us and he's preparing a people and a bride for when Christ returns that we're ready and we're complete. And part of being complete is every member who's a lost sheep will be there. There will be no lamb left behind, so to speak. And that brings us to Romans 12, which is our text for today, where the Apostle Paul shows us how we are to live this gospel life now. This is the gospel. This is the gospel life. This is what it looks like. Okay, Romans, this is your life right now. Well, how do we live it when you're taking a beating right now? And if I can steal a little bit from Dr. Grisanti a little bit. I liked what he did last week, so I'm still learning as a pastor and preacher where he said, okay, here's the big idea. Or in my terms, here's the authorial intent. Here's the big idea for Romans 12. And it's up there. How do we live the gospel life now? Well, we live it by living this new life of sacrificial service and sacrificial giving to God and His people, the household of God. That's how we do it until Christ comes again. By giving our lives and serving with those lives sacrificially to God and to His church, just like Jesus did. Because that's what Jesus did. He gave His life sacrificially. That's what we just sang. That's the blueprint, brothers and sisters, for victory in this life and the next. And as we look at that life, the reason we live that life is because God's given us this new life where we're now able to live by faith and grace, confidence in Christ, grace giving God's goodness to others, rather than living the way we used to in the world. Living by fear and living by greed. What do I need to do to take for myself? How do I protect myself? Well, we don't have to protect ourselves anymore, brothers and sisters. Because we belong to God. And God takes care of His own. Now, He does so with the cross, but He also does so with the resurrection. And this takes a little time to learn. And that's what Romans 12 is about. The Apostle Paul is walking them through what this new cross-centered life looks like right now. And as we consider the history of the world, but even before that, we think of Genesis through Revelation, through Scripture, what has set apart people, the children of God, Abraham, Abel, all the children of God, Old Testament and New Testament, is this very thing. They have all given their lives sacrificially to God and the people of God, rather than trying to secure their lives for themselves and what they can gain. That is what separates, and that is paradigmatic and characteristic of a new life in Christ. And that's, brothers and sisters, how the Lord shepherds and grows us. And many times He uses trials and adversity in our lives to grow and strengthen that, and to grow us deep. Well, that brings us to Romans 12, and that's what I believe Romans 12 is about. If you have your Bibles, have a look at Romans chapter 12. 
I'm going to ask you to go back a verse to verse 36. 11.36, the verse before, which is really a summation of 1 through 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And then verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 11, serve the Lord. Well, here in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul is showing us what the gospel life and what the gospel family looks like. Brothers and sisters, this is what church looks like. This is what a new life And a new family of sacrificial serving and giving to God and one another looks like. And to do so, not with the things of the world. He doesn't come and say, okay, well, give because you got a huge bonus this year because you work for an amazing company. He doesn't say, come and and help those elders because you have a PhD in accounting or you have an MBA and you know how to make this thing better. He doesn't say come and and serve because you're here to help this church. Help, stand over. No. Okay, we need God's help, brothers and sisters. But He comes and says you're to give, that each one of you, if you're a child of God, God has given you gifts that you did not have prior to when you were saved. Yes, use those natural gifts. But the gifts that he talks about here are really gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. That there's a whole new life, a whole new set of desires, a whole new set of gifts. And you're to give those gifts that God has given. And you're to give them entirely to the Lord and entirely to your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because that's what Jesus did. One of the great gifts of grace that God gave me, brothers and sisters, was a mother who loved the Lord and His Word. And that was a gift of grace. My mother was a foster child. She was adopted into a Christian family. And that's where she was given the gospel. And one of my favorite childhood memories was my mother reading Bible stories to my brother and I on my parents' bed at night. And it was exciting and it was thrilling because it was exciting and thrilling for my mother. She was genuinely excited about these stories. And because she was excited about it, we were excited about it too. It wasn't sort of, okay, i got to read the Bible story of these kids, these two Chin brothers tonight. She was genuinely passionate about it. And one of my favorite Bible stories was the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And new parents, expecting parents, those who are planning on having a family or would like to, singles, everyone. I'd really encourage you to read 1 Samuel 1 and 2. Because in many ways, it tells the tale of two lives and two families and two kings who use the gifts that God gives them in very, very, very different ways with very, very different ends. And 1 Samuel begins with a woman named Hannah whom God has given a very hard life and a very hard marriage and a very hard family. Her husband loves her, but he has two wives. Try that one on for size. All of you out there who feel you've got difficult lives and family lives, just try the, my dad has two wives on for size. It is no joy. And not only that, the other wife is able to have children, and Hannah is barren, which is believed to be a curse by the Lord in the community. And the other wife ridicules Hannah and celebrates and boasts and gloats in her fertility. Brutal. If you have to live with that day in, day out, and wake up every morning and every minute. Especially if, like Hannah, you have been faithful to the Lord. Lord, why are you doing this to me? So what does Hannah do? Brothers and sisters, what do you do when God does not give you what you want or you think you deserve? Hannah most beautifully goes to the house of the Lord with her husband. She offers sacrifice to the Lord and she prays. And as she prays fervently, Eli comes and looks at this woman who is just overwhelmed with anguish and is just pouring her heart out to the Lord. And what does Eli do? He thinks she's drunk. Try that one on for size. You go to the house of the Lord and the high priest goes and sort of rebukes you for drinking when you're just trying to talk to the Lord, misunderstood even by the men of God. But what happens? The Lord hears her prayer and He graciously gives her a new life. He gives her a child, a son, and He gives her a completely new life as a mother. And interestingly enough, and I want you to note this, what does Hannah do with that gift and that new life that God gives her? What she does is very un-American and very un-Chinese and un-Asian. She doesn't say, I've waited so long for this child. 
going to hoard them, going to protect them, not let anybody see, nobody get near. He's going to go to Harvard, he's going to go to Yale, we'll send him to the right prep school. We'll do Chinese lessons or, you know, whatever it is, you know, plot it all out basically and they'll take tennis lessons and get the scholarship. What does Hannah do? Hannah tells her husband, after the child is weaned, we will go up to the house of the Lord. And she gives that child into the house of the Lord. Where she won't see him except when she goes up to worship for the festivals. And that child she gives to serve in the house of the Lord and to serve the people of God. She gives him away to God and the people of God. And of course that child's name is Samuel. In Hebrew it's Shmuel. Which means asked of God. Asked from God. And as we look at those first two chapters, what's interesting is Samuel's life becomes a contrast to Eli, the high priest's two sons. Both of them serving in the household of God. Shmuel, or Samuel, gives his life to the service of the Lord and the people of God. Eli's sons use the service of the Lord and use the house of the Lord for personal benefit or advantage. Brothers and sisters, that's our church today. There are those who come in to give their lives in the service of the Lord, and then there are those who are in the house of the Lord who use the house of the Lord and the people of the Lord for their personal advantage. How is this going to give me a better life? How is this going to give me a happier marriage? How is this going to be better for my children? And the Lord condemns that, brothers and sisters, as wickedness. And eventually he kills Eli's sons. And this lays the foundation for the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel, which becomes a tale of two families and a tale of two kings. King Saul and King David. One who uses the household of the Lord and the word of the Lord for his personal advantage, and the other who uses his life and the kingdom and the kingship that God has given him for the people of God. And brothers and sisters, this is not just a cautionary tale for parents. In many ways, this is an illustration of the book of Romans, where Paul talks about two fathers, Adam and Jesus, two families, two kings, and two different people groups. And it's an illustration of his exhortation in Romans 12.1, the overarching exhortation for the rest of Romans from 12 through 16. And that brings us to our first point, which we see uh, on the overhead. By God's grace in Christ, give your new life in Christ. Not in part, give it entirely to God and His household. Give it entirely to God and His household. And this is foundational, brothers and sisters, for living the gospel life. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, or I urge, or I exhort you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this word appeal, also translated urge or exhort, comes from the Greek verb parakaleo. Parakaleo, okay, 
If you will recall, is the verb or the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit's ministry to believers. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete or the parakletos. He is the one from that verb who runs para alongside you. He is the one who is a helper who gives comfort so that you do not have to run the race alone, but he runs with you and continually says, this way, this way, this way. He's the one who shows us the way to victory. He's the one who leads us, brothers and sisters, to Christ and reminds us that we're not alone even in the darkest of moments. Christ is with us, even if we can't see him. That's what a parakletos does. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. He's running us alongside the Romans who are suffering and will suffer more. And he's calling out to them and encouraging them and exhorting them and showing them the path which Christ runs on. And he exhorts them how? He exhorts them as brothers. And this is so beautiful. In the Catholic Church, you have saints and apostles. They're way up here. And then you have all the ghetto rugrats like us who look up to them and hope that their grace will rub off on us. Not the Apostle Paul. He says, I exhort you, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And he's pointing out that by God's grace, by the gospel, they are siblings. They are family members. They're playing on the same team. They have equal standing before God as the Apostle Paul does. How awesome and great is that? If you ever watch sports from time to time, what they'll do for our entertainment is they will mic up or they will wire one of the team captains or team leaders or team stars so you can hear what they say in the court or on the football field. And typically it's the veteran member or the star member who calls out and shouts out encouragement to the rookies or the other teammates and he lets them know, you need to stand here. This is what they're doing. Don't do that. Stick with the game plan. We can do it. He's calling out to everybody to make sure that they're in the right place and following the coach's game plan on the floor so they can win. And in a small way, brothers and sisters, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. They're siblings, but he's the older sibling who's calling out to the rest of his teammates, this is the game plan. Don't deviate from it. This is where you need to stand. This is what you need to do. We've got a game plan that is going to win. Don't deviate from it. And what is that gospel game plan that leads to victory? He says, therefore, by the mercies of God. He doesn't say, therefore, because you are a seminarian. He doesn't say, therefore, because you're incredibly smart in Bible knowledge. He doesn't say, therefore, because you're incredibly generous and give a lot to the church. No, he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. Because of everything that God has done for you. Because of the love God has shown you. Because God is present in your life and has shown you mercy and given you what you don't deserve. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the image the Apostle Paul draws upon here is the image of the Old Testament priest. And the Old Testament priest who sacrifices a burnt offering before God, where that sacrifice and offering is the unblemished life that the Lord has given to His people. The one that He's provided. And where the primary calling of the Old Testament priest, this is His calling, this is His job, this is what He's supposed to do day and night, 
is to present that unblemished and holy life to God. Not just for himself, but to do so on God's altar, in God's presence, according to God's word, not primarily for himself, but for God's people. That was the priestly calling. You did it on behalf of the people of God. And you were sanctified, and you were set apart, and blood was placed on you to prepare you so that you would be in a position to do that for others. But the distinction from the Old Testament that the Apostle Paul makes in this gospel exhortation is that now, because of the cross, because of the gospel, because of the mercies of God, that's what the therefore is. The therefore points back to Romans 1 through 11. Therefore, and by the mercies of God, all that God has done, all that God is doing, all that God will do in us because of, not us, but because of Christ. By God's work and God's power in us. Believers, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, in Christ, you are now God's holy priests. And because of His blood, we have forgiveness of sins, we're sanctified. And even the least child of God is qualified to come near to God. And the sacrifice each one of us is called and commanded by God to give to Him, and on behalf of others. It's not a dead animal anymore, brothers and sisters. Most New Testament commentators point out that when the Apostle Paul here says, your bodies, he's not talking about the physical shell. He's talking about the entirety of this present life in this present world. As we interact on a day-to-day basis in and out of a material world. So he's calling us, brothers and sisters, the sacrifice to give is the entirety of this new life that God has given you that you're living out right here and now. It's not just pie in the sky. And we're to give it like Jesus, our older sibling, the great high priest. A believer's calling and a believer's path to victory is the sacrificial giving of the entirety of our lives to God. Not part, brothers and sisters, the entirety, all of it. And brothers and sisters, that's what holiness is. As I've said before, we think of holiness as, oh, I I don't sin. That guy's holy. He studies the Bible day and night. No, the idea of holiness, brothers and sisters, is that the entirety of your life, whether you're working as a physician, whether you're working as a lawyer, whether you're working as an engineer, whether you're serving as a student, however it is, the entirety, the whole package is devoted to the Lord. That's holiness, brothers and sisters. And what makes this sacrifice living and holy and pleasing to God? Clearly it's not us and our works. It's the mercy of God. It's Christ in us. And the beauty of this, brothers and sisters, is God gives us this opportunity to give our lives not for ourselves, but to give it to others. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And we see that Paul over and over, as you read his writings, that's what he talks about. He says in Philippians 2.17, he says, My life is being given up as a drink offering. Not for me, but for you and for your faith. He said, I I would rather die and be with Jesus, but I'm here for you and for your faith to encourage you and to strengthen you. Begs the question, brothers and sisters, what what are we giving to God? What are we giving to God? Is it just simply a paycheck every week? 
Brothers and sisters, anything less than the entirety of our lives is a waste. If I can steal from John Piper, don't waste your life. Anything less than the entirety of our lives being given to God is a waste and it's sin. I explain this, I try to explain this to my boys. I I say, hey, how would you feel if I was going around the church or other places giving gifts to all these other women? Would that be right? Well, very clearly not. Would that be loving to your mother? Absolutely not. The idea that we're united, that we're married, is that she gets everything. Everything. And of course, that becomes the rub in marriages where the feeling is your work life is yours and what's left over is mine. Right? And I know we struggle with that and the Lord is showing us. I've given you a new life. Brothers and sisters, who are you giving your life and your gifts for? Are you giving your life and gifts for yourself or are you giving it to God and His people? Verse 1, he says, I urge and exhort you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what spiritual worship is, brothers and sisters. It's not less than singing hymns and praising, to, praising God and coming to church, but it's so much more, brothers and sisters. When we come to church... Do we come to worship? When we come to church, do we come to sacrificially give and serve with the entirety of our lives to give to God and give to His people? Everything. We live in a world, brothers and sisters, that calls us from our video games to our social media to our careers to our politics to live for ourselves and to fight for your freedoms and fight for your rights. The good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is by the mercies of God, by the power of God, by the power of the cross, God enables us to sacrificially give and live the entirety of our lives in Christ, not for ourselves, but for God and His people. And just like Jesus, it's a joy. It's a delight. It's a privilege that the world does not know. Is it hard work, I tell the boys, for me to give your mother good gifts, to serve, to spend time with her? No. It's what I long for. It's a joy and it's a delight. It's what I'm thinking about as I work. When am I going to get that half hour on the couch alone so we can just sit next to one another? And brothers and sisters, that's true of Jesus and that's true of the family of God. It's not a thank God it's Friday. It's thank God it's Sunday. And we live for that moment where we have a chance to be alone with Christ and be alone with the family of God and say this is a privilege and a gift from the Lord. And I'm willing to give up whatever freedoms and rights I have or what I feel I'm entitled to so that I can be there because it's worth it. And because Christ died, that's how much it's worth it. And that brings us to our second point this morning. By faith in Christ, learn to think and love like Jesus, not like the world. By faith in Christ, learn to think and love like Jesus, not like the world. How exactly are we to sacrificially give and serve God and His people? It sounds like a nice idea, but how do we do it? Well, the Apostle Paul shows us very specifically in verse 2. And he does so through his command... 
where he shows us to give and serve and sacrifice like Jesus, we must. I'm going to say we must. Non-optional command. Ongoing. Never stops. That's the verb tense that the Apostle Paul uses. Progressive present. Always going on. Must. We must think and love like Jesus, not like the world. Flip side of that is, you can't be like Jesus when you're thinking and loving like the world. It sounds obvious, but we know our flesh is strong, and it tends to go in the other direction. So what does Paul command? How do we give and live like Jesus? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what is good and acceptable and perfect, brothers and sisters? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His life. That's the standard. And when the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, the idea of being conformed is this idea of being molded or shaped into a pattern. In Roman times, it's the idea of that precious metal being poured into a mold or the blacksmith hammering a piece of metal into the shape of a sword or a tool. Hammered. And there's two critical implications of this command. Do not be conformed to this world. First, children of Christ are by nature different from the world. We're not the same. Second implication, the world will always bring great pressure on us to mold us into its image. The world will always bring great pressure in our work, in our marriages, in our social life, in our sports, in our entertainment, to mold us into its image. Hammer us, brothers and sisters, hammer us. And what is the image and pattern of the world? It is a world of a for-profit life that exhorts us to live for ourselves, believe in ourselves, fight for your freedoms, fight for your rights, take more than you can give in our education career, our sports, our relationships, our marriage and worship. That's what it's all about. Get a good education so that you can make more money. It's about buying low and selling high. It's how we... Take care of our 401ks and our stocks. That's how we handle our careers. And guess what? Many times that's how we think and act in our marriages, our relationships, and our worship. And when a relationship and a marriage and a career is no longer profitable, we get discontent and we move on. Brothers and sisters, we can't think and love like that and be like Jesus. How do we give and serve like Jesus? Do not be conformed to this world. Put off. Put on. But be transformed. Non-optional, ongoing command. By the renewal of your mind. And the Apostle Paul shows us here where it begins. It begins in our hearts and minds. That term, be transformed. The Greek word is metamorphose. Be made, be transformed into something and someone completely different in nature. And it's a passive verb where it's God's work in us that we submit to. That's Romans 5 through 8. As a child of God's transformation into Christ's image. 
It's not a zap. It's not pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's allowing God and the Holy Spirit and His Word to come into your life and to produce that change in your life that we can't do in ourselves. It's that metamorphosis of a moth into a butterfly. What does a moth do to become a butterfly? Well, yes, it comes out of the cocoon. But at the end of the day, all of that's coming from within. What stunts that change, brothers and sisters? What slows it down? You've all seen those illustrations where they talk about the moth coming out of the cocoon and how that cocoon and the hardship of getting out of that cocoon is part of the process, that trial, that challenge of what enables part of the transformation into what God has planned for it. When we avoid hardship and trials that God brings, brothers and sisters, we step away from the cross and we step away from God's plan. And we delay that growth. The flip side is, what are you taking into yourself? If all you're doing is imbibing the entertainment, the media, the things of the world, and that's what you're feasting on, and that's what you're hearing at work, and you're taking in all of that stuff, how are we going to grow into the image of Christ? When I was a family physician, and I used to bump into kids in schools or whatever, and they were there smoking, I would go up to them say, Hey, do you want to be short like me? <laughs> Keep on smoking, brother. That's what happened to me. I smoked two packs a day and look at me. And they go, oh. Okay, oh, I was lying. Okay, but I was trying to make a point to them. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. How are you going to grow into the image of Christ if you don't spend any time with Him? If you're not being poured into by godly shepherds who love you and say, all I want to do is pour in, well, let's just talk about sports today. There is a place for that. We need to enjoy sports. We need to enjoy what's going on in the world. But, brothers and sisters, let's dessert is dessert and steak is steak. And let's make sure that we don't sacrifice the steak dinner for the dessert. To live and give like Jesus, brothers and sisters. We must resist the world. We must not be conformed by the continual pounding to be like the world. We must grow increasingly like Christ. And how we do that is by the renewal of our minds. And in Greek, that word for mind, in Hebrew, it's the heart. There's the overlap. It's the mission control center of our lives. It's the decision making, the perception, everything coming through that central part of our lives. And a child of God's transformation and growing into the likeness of Jesus begins with this new and transformed heart and mind that continues to grow into the mind of Christ until we die or until Christ returns. And brothers and sisters, this is the wonderful gift. The Apostle Paul says, but you have the mind of Christ. When you're born again, God gives you that new heart and that new mind. That's why you enjoy reading God's Word. That's why you begin to spend time with the people of God. That's why biological family members sometimes seem like strangers and those in the church are kindred souls. And it's a gift that we're given that we're to use this gift to learn how to think and act like Jesus, not like the world. To mature. God's giving you that mind so that you can learn and so that you can grow. As he says, so that you'll know how to test and discern God's will, what is good, what is pleasing, what is perfect in our marriages, in our work, in our worship. That we're able to say, this is pleasing because this is like Christ. No, that, that's not. 
And that, brothers and sisters, comes from discipleship. It's what discipleship is about. It's maturing us into the image of Christ through the Word, through prayer, through Christian brothers and sisters speaking into our lives. Not infrequently, you will hear in the world of sports, they talk about what it takes to be a champion. Right? What do they say? Well, they say there's two essential ingredients. One, you need championship DNA. You're never going to get there if you don't have championship DNA. Two, you need to learn to think like a champion. You'll hear that all over the place, right? Well, the good news of God's Word and the Gospel, what Paul is saying is, look, this, God's given this to you. Because the only champion in God's eyes is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Him, brothers and sisters, God has given you championship DNA And in His Word and in His Spirit and in His church, He's given us everything we need to learn how to think like a champion. And thinking like a champion, like Jesus, is to take on the form of a servant, to wash other people's feet, to consider others more important than yourself, to be willing to be rejected and humiliated And crucified on a cross for the sins of others. Because victory will come with resurrection when God brings to completion what he has promised in his word. We lose now the world, brothers and sisters, but we gain eternity. The way of a loser in God's eyes is the way of the world. Gain the world now and lose eternity. And we see that this is the process that Jesus... Shepherd of the disciples. He rebukes Peter. When Peter tries to stop him going to the cross. This isn't the plan for the kingdom. We've got greatness here and now. Get behind me, Satan. You have your heart and mind on the things of men, not the things of God. That's what, that's what Jesus, Paul is just essentially writing out in Romans, what Jesus shepherded the disciples. And this is why the Apostle Paul exhorts elsewhere for believers to take every thought captive and to destroy philosophies of the world that have taken grip and a hold of our soul. Are we thinking biblically, brothers and sisters? Are we thinking like Christ? Are we learning, and that's time in the Word and prayer, to think like Jesus? In Romans 12, verses 3 through. 13, the Apostle Paul teaches us how to specifically think and love like Jesus. Romans 12.3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's the world's way of thinking, brothers and sisters. I don't deserve this. Why didn't they give me this? It's not fair. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now when we read that measure of faith that God has assigned, at first glance it looks like God has given each child of God a different portion of faith. New Testament scholar Cranfield points out, the Apostle Paul is not suggesting that God gives each of us varying levels of faith. The idea of measure is a standard. A standard. Okay, And the standard of faith that God has assigned to each child of God, the standard of faith, is the faith that Christ exhibited when he went to the cross. Do we want to know what true faith looks like? 
And the faith that God has given each one of us as a gift, it's the faith that Christ demonstrated when he said, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. That's faith, brothers and sisters. And in Philippians 2.2, the Apostle Paul shows us, he says, Be of the same mind. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. God's gift to you, the mind of Christ, who though he was God, took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the standard of faith, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, we will never give and live like Jesus by thinking like the world. By thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. That it's all about me, that it's about getting ahead, about why do I have to suffer when we shepherd and we give biblical counselors to those who are ensnared in sin. And they say it's too hard, it's too difficult. I had a pastor who I knew who used to be an Orthodox Jew and a psychologist and God saved him. And he would repeatedly take those he counseled who were ensnared in sin to Hebrews and said, but have you yet suffered to the point of shedding blood? If you really believe your sin is that bad, are you willing to die and lose everything in order to gain Christ? Brothers and sisters, Garrett this morning prayed for saints in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is getting killed and pummeled by the Taliban. There are Christians in Afghanistan. It's falling. There are people who are going to lose their life just to meet and gather in a church. And we don't want to give up phones and electronic devices or sports or entertainment or things while we don't really have to. Brothers and sisters, we have this opportunity. Are we thinking and living like Jesus? Are we thinking and living like Jesus where we realize it doesn't just affect us, it affects the whole family of God? Fathers. Our habits and patterns will affect our children. They watch, they see, they know what we do. What you give your life to, they too likely will give their lives to. Or at least think it's okay to do so. Do we think and do we live? And do we love like Jesus? And there's one point I want to bring up and focus here. Brothers and sisters, we're more psychologized than we care to admit. I know that's a hot button. My wife did her undergraduate degree in psychology. I know this well. I practice as a family physician using psychology all the time. But psychology, brothers and sisters, begins and ends with man. And though they, make, make some, though they may make some valid observations, they interpret those observations in godless paradigms where God is removed completely. And the remedy is us managing and fixing and the mantra that underlies most of it over and over again is you've got to believe in yourself, you've got to believe in yourself, you've got to believe in yourself. Set up barriers, set up boundaries, learn one another's love language, speak, communicate, manage, fix. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, I raise it because it's a path that seems good in the beginning but leads to destruction. Because the only place you get by living for yourself and putting up boundaries is alone and separated from the Lord and one another. It's a poison pill, brothers and sisters. And it's contrary to the gospel. And we see this as we come to verses 4 through 6. 
The Apostle Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And Paul's pointing out here, the difference in the gospel comes down to our union with Christ. What makes the difference in our lives, brothers and sisters, is not us, our works, our efforts. It's our relationship with Christ. And that takes what the world says is terrible and horrible, and it makes it wonderful and beautiful because Christ's life lives and reigns in us. I had an encouraging conversation with Pastor John about that this week. We were able to meet together and we were able to walk through ministry together and we were able to share with one another. And one of the topics that came up is that he and I are very different. God has framed us very differently. And one of the trials that both of us have been challenged with over the last few years is that there are those who have attacked those differences and try to use it as a wedge between us. Chief among those attacking is Satan. Where people will come and say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, you're not as loving as Pastor John. Or other people will come to Pastor John and say, well, Pastor John, you don't take the Bible as seriously as Pastor Mark does. And more often than not, they're people who don't necessarily know us or have an agenda. But as we gather together, what's affirmed as Pastor John and I gathered together is what joins us and unites us is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in Christ, and because of the gospel, our differences complement one another. He is gifted in a way that I am not. Maybe I'm gifted in ways that he is not. But in Christ, brothers and sisters, our differences complement one another, and they make music, and it's a harmony. You take Christ out of the mix, our differences divide. That's the way of the world. And I say this by example because we think about our marriages. With psychology, it's let's learn one another's love language. Understand her love language. Understand how she thinks. Learn to speak. Do all these different things. Put up boundaries. Put up barriers. Set standards. No, brothers and sisters, God has made you different. And if we think like Christ, our differences, we're not going to think more highly than we ought. We're not going to look down a husband on a wife because how she does things or her family is different. Instead, what unites us is the mind of Christ. And as we grow and mature in Christ, He throws out the things of the world. He retains the differences that He's given. And He builds us up in unity so that each part of the body, each part of the family united in Christ, loves as Christ has loved and the light of the gospel goes out. Brothers and sisters, everything in the world and the way it thinks divides us. Because it squeezes Christ out. The good news of God's word is the gospel gives us the mind of Christ. It allows us to think and learn to love like Jesus. And because of that, it allows us to give our lives like Jesus. And that brings us to our final point for this morning. By God's grace and faith in Christ, learn to sacrificially love and serve God's family like Jesus. 
by God's grace and faith in Christ, learn to sacrificially love and serve God's family like Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul is walking the saints in Rome through in verses 6 through 13. Beautiful thing is he rolls out blow by blow as we look at this about how we are to sacrificially love and serve. And the implication here, let me just say it quickly, is we don't start out knowing how to do that. We come into the kingdom, brothers and sisters, as babes in Christ, as little children. And we need to learn. That's where discipleship comes in. That's where mentoring comes in. And what God uses is He uses Christian service and He uses trials and tribulations in our lives to mature us in our giving and serving like Jesus. You already have the life. You already have everything you need. But you need to learn. And that's part of discipleship and the discipleship of the cross. Brothers and sisters, if we do not serve or we never serve or we sit here, I know some of you are going through those applications. Well, I I, I don't know. I don't know how the Lord has gifted me. Fair enough. But it's as you give and as you serve, as you think like Jesus and you act like Jesus and you say, okay, it says show hospitality. Well, I can show hospitality. I might not be able to sing. I might not be able to do praise like Peter or these others. But I can invite somebody over for a meal. I can bring them coffee. I can help repair A, B, C, D, and E. You know, one of the ways Michael Fong has always served our family, I name him because very quietly he comes over and he fixes the things that I can't fix. He is gifted in a way that I'm not able to. And when he comes over, we're able to spend time and talk. How are you doing, Michael, spiritually? He asks me how he can pray for us. I give that not to glorify him. I give that to you in a tangible way. There is nothing that you can't do to serve someone else, where God is not going to grow you and begin to show you how He has specifically gifted you in a beautiful and unique way to show the same love as Christ did. Did you know there's a portion in the Gospels that refers to Jesus as a carpenter? And they're slandering Him for it. Jesus was willing to do anything, including washing feet, We see at the end those words, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be patient in tribulation. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul highlights here is, guys, guess what? It's not going to be easy. Many times folks get discouraged because they give in the church and they say, it's just not reciprocated. I have people over for meals. I don't get invited back. I love them. I share. I shepherd. I give counsel. And all they do is run away. Guess what? That's what they did to Jesus. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, God graciously is pouring the Spirit into your life and showing you you're having fellowship with Christ in a way that you never would, that if you went and you served people and you preached and everybody gave you millions of dollars. What's the reward in that? But the faithful saints, as Sinclair Ferguson points out in the book we're reading, who serve in obscurity and who give in love, who are expecting nothing in return, and they're forgotten about years later. Weak and frail, who is precious, brothers and sisters, and who is more like Christ? The mega church with the mega book deals, or the simple saint 
who is patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, and contributes to the needs of the saints and seeks to show hospitality. And brothers and sisters, when you start to understand that, let me close with this. Turn to Romans 15. You begin to understand where Paul is coming from when he says, verse 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please who? Ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And that becomes the basis of the Apostle Paul calling on the Romans to give up their liberties and their rights for the sake of the weaker brother in the church. Why? Brothers and sisters, because that's how Jesus gave his life for you and I. As you consider your membership applications and you consider the gifts that you have been given by God in abundance. Think and act like Jesus. Look to the gospel. And brothers and sisters, rejoice in the opportunity God has given you, even in the face of hardship, to give your lives entirely to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. What a privilege and what a joy. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, You gave Your life so that we could give our lives like You. Thank You so much for this gift and privilege. Help us, Lord Jesus, but thank You. In Your name we pray, Amen.